And we're turning to Genesis chapter 39 again tonight, please. Genesis chapter 39, and we'll read some verses for the sake of those who were not here last week and to recap and refresh our memory of those that, that were. Genesis chapter 39, and we're reading from the verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of the Egyptians, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer over the house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for the sake, for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favoured. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. And how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And he came to, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. It came to pass when she saw that he had left the garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice, and it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until the Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to the word, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto, me, unto us came unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. It came to pass, when his master heard the words of, the wife, of his wife, 
which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to do with me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And so reads the word of the Lord, and the Lord has promised to bless the public reading of his word. Let us bow in a moment's prayer, please. Father, we thank you for what has been prayed and sang already. We come to thee, Lord, now, just now, for your precious word, Lord, to help us, O God. Thou knowest that our need is great. Thou knowest, Lord, unless the Holy Spirit enlightens the pages and these scripture verses, we will, Lord, have nothing to offer this people. And so we ask, Lord, that thou will touch us and help us, and that thou will give us wisdom in what we say, and that the anointing of the Lord would be upon us and upon our people that listen for Jesus' sake. Amen. One of the most serious and searching of all siftings that confront the children of God, especially young, the younger generation in these days in which we live, is in the realm of sexuality and chastity, sexual siftings. More believers, not only youth, of all ages, seem to fall captive to this terrible malady. Many fail to, have failed to overcome temptations and testings in the way that they come to us today. They fail to, they fall to the lure and to the lust of uh, their sexual appetite. One of the devil's greatest weapons in these days is this, what we're talking about tonight. And oh, how we need to watch ourselves, how we need to seek the Lord, how we need to be careful every step that we take. It's a constant battle, not only for younger people, but if everybody would be honest and admit tonight, it's a constant battle in these days. Now, as we continue tonight with the subject, surviving the sifting, we're once more taken for our example and indeed for a role model, this young teenager, Joseph. They reckon he was about 17 or 18 years here when we're reading about him in Potiphar's house tonight. Joseph was a slave in Egypt. He was away from home. He was in that great position that because the Lord was with him, uh, he, he got up into the high uh, over the palace, Potiphar's palace, and there was none greater, he said himself, than him and the, and the palace, apart from his boss himself. 
And we're just after reading tonight, and other scriptures confirm this, of course, that he was attacked and he was seduced and accosted by Potiphar's wife. And the cry for her to him was to lie with her. Now, not only once did she do this, but we read in verse 10, if you glance your eyes at verse 10, you'll discover that it says day after day. Day after day. This was a, an obsessive, devilish, dangerous, lustful woman. And the Proverbs have much to say about this type of woman. And indeed, other scriptures have too. In, in Proverbs, they're, uh, they're described as uh, being loud and stubborn and, and flattering, lying in wait at every, every corner. Now, here we have this scene before us tonight. It's in the scripture. We're not adding to it. We're not taking away from it. We're just dealing with the word of God as is before us tonight. And we have to deal with these things for we, we must face them. And we especially we must face them in the society that we're living in today when everything around us is lewd and, and, and crude and rude and just in this society, it's an awful, sexual, saturated society. Every time you lift a paper, every time you turn on the television, there's something to attract and something to draw your mind. And we need to face it, and we need to deal with it, and we need to see how we can deal with it, deal with it, or, or deal with it ourselves. Now, many's a young man. Many's a young man uh, would have capitulated here. He was away from home. He, he, he knew that there was nobody there. And many a young man would have capitulated. And not only that, not only that, but it would have been a mighty privilege for him to do so. Now I want you to think of this tonight. Because we're going to hit some sore points tonight maybe. It would have been easy for him to do it. And, and uh, it would have been... It would have been very successful for him to do it. It would have been a privilege for him to do it. I would say that this fellow here in modern society, if it happened, he could have wrote a book. He'd have been on the chat shows. He would have been having um, many things written about him, posted images and Facebook and all the rest of it. And he'd be like the boys that come here from the Sunday world to... When COVID was on, Sunday World would have it plashed across the top of, of the paper. This woman's second in command to the great Pharaoh. But you think of this. He didn't know this. Potiphar didn't know this. And she didn't know this. But they're only holding the position for Joseph because Joseph's going to be in his position in a few years' time. So here we have this situation and here we have this young man faced with this terrible, terrible accosting of this sexual nature. And yet he refuses. He refuses. You know, God has strange ways of vindicating. And we're going to see in this story tonight that how he vindicated Joseph and how Joseph was mightily blessed to it. Now I want to say to you tonight, if some of you are under attack... And it may be that someone listening to me, and I'm sure watching or learning from this, these messages, that some of you are under attack in this area. 
maybe under attack in different areas. Maybe there's lies being told about you. There was lies here. Every sin you could nearly think of was committed by this woman. There were lies here. Maybe someone's hammering you with lies or deceitful things or things that you didn't do. And maybe you're weathering the storm and you're in the trial and you're in the battle and day after day it's coming at you right, right hard. Well, let me say to you this, that the Lord will vindicate you. And in a situation like this and in other situations, we need to do what Joseph did. And that is he didn't do anything. We need to do what, apart from flee, of course. He didn't do anything and he didn't say anything. He just rolled it over. Just like the Lord Jesus, he, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. I was thinking along these lines, I was thinking of the hymn that we sing here in 548 in the hymn book, When Evil Foes Assail and Almost Will Prevail. In that dark hour be thou my strength and shield. And I want to say to you tonight, if you're in a trial, if you're in the storm, if you're being accused falsely, if there's things happening in your life that you don't even understand, you just hold on to the Lord because there's a day coming when God will vindicate you as he vindicated this man, Joseph. Now I want you to look at verse 9. Do you see what he say, what it says in verse 9? He said, There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. And you'll get the wife mentioned at least three times in this problem. This is, this, this is a man's wife now, and things haven't changed. And notice what it says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now what is he saying here? He says, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot do it. He didn't say he would not do it. He didn't say I will not do it, I may not do it, I might not do it. He says, I cannot do it. He hearkened not, in verse 10, the next verse says, he hearkened not unto her to lie with her or to be with her. He was nowhere near her. And my friend, we need to flee and we I tell you, if you start to play about with this thing, he got out of her road and stayed out of her road, never was anywhere near, never was found anywhere near her. This is the way we will stand against temptation and testing, not by feeding it. And he, it says here that he was, he, he hearkened not to her and went nowhere near to where she was. And then we read the story. And then she got the message. Oh boy, she got the message. And once she got the message, in fury, she caught him by the garment and the cloak and, or coat, garment, cloak or coat, you can use the word, tore part of it in hand and used it against him. I think it was Victor Hugo said, hell has no fury like a woman's scorn. This woman's mad. You know, people don't like to be refused. People don't like to be rejected. And this parent, especially a woman in this position, a slave, that's all Joseph was. And she, her whole morale and her whole prestige was hammered by the fact that this young man wouldn't have anything to do it. And she's full of evil and full of wickedness and full of scorn. And she pulled the coat off him. Now, just as a matter of interest in passing, Joseph had two coats. He had two coats as a young man, and we're not going to develop it tonight, but some of you young preachers might. And both of the coats, 
that Joseph had were used as a result of jealousy, as, as a result of jealousy, lies and deception. You know, if Joseph would have wrote a book, I'm sure he would have had a chapter in the book on the coats. He had the son's coat that the father gave him. It was the mark of sonship. It was ripped off him by the brethren and steeped in the blood of an animal and brought to old Jacob and deceived old Jacob that an animal, a wild animal had killed his son. And for the, for, day, for the rest of his days, almost old Jacob, all that he could think of was a coat. That coat was a king, was coat, a coat of many colors. It was a coat given to the firstborn. It should have been to Reuben, but Reuben didn't get it because of a sin, and it was given to Joseph. And this, this, this coat was what kings and kings' sons wore. So he had the king's coat. And now when we come into this state, he had the slave's coat. Because there was a coat put on them when they were chained and when they were brought into slavery and sold and into slavery, there was, a, there was a slave's coat, a black coat put round them, a garb that denoted them as a slave. So he had the slave's coat and the king's coat. So I'll tell you, there's some teaching there. If some of you boys want to go on with it, we haven't time to go on to it tonight. One cannot, one cannot leave this narrative or this story, or this text, read Joseph's sifting, without shining the spotlight on one of the greatest sexual sins of the hour in our land, and that is adultery. Adultery. That's why I have entitled this message tonight, Adultery in the Palace. Adultery in the Palace. And we can't go through this story and we can't read this story without picking out this seventh commandment. Because it is the seventh commandment and it's still the commandment today, thou shalt not commit adultery. This was adultery in the palace. It seems to me as I read through the scriptures that palaces were a favorite place for adultery. King David's palace. King Solomon's palace. King Ahasuerus' palace, King Herod's palace where John the Baptist faced him, and of course our palace in Westminster, the Buckingham Palace. We're going to soon crown a king, an adulterous king and queen in England. And we can't change it. We can't turn away from the Word of God. That's what the Word of God, oh, it doesn't matter, of course, to many. But that is the fact that we're facing in the month of May. Whether we like it or whether we not, and whether it's preached about or whether it's not, it's the truth. And if adultery was, was hateful then, and all the scriptures that I'm going to tell you about it tonight, it's just then, it is, these days it is now. He's the unchangeable God, and his word changes not. We're told that we have to change. We have to modernize. We have to conform. That's the word. Conform. We have to conform to the day and the age and the hour in which we live in. Well, the Lord Jesus was the same yesterday and today and forever. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. Once we start tinkering with these old truths, especially this truth here that we're talking about, look at the mess we're in tonight because of it. Look at the state of society tonight because of it. So here we have adultery. Adultery. 
Because the adultery, the Lord Jesus talks about adultery. If a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed adultery. This woman's an adulterer. And if she can get her away, she is an adulterer in every sense of the, of, of, of the word. Now, adultery, what is it? And I think we need to be refreshed and we need to be reminded today of what adultery really is. It's a sexual relationship within the bonds of marriage. A sexual relationship within the bonds of marriage. We can sugarcoat it. We can call it an affair. We can call it a relationship. We call it that the uh, we can call them lovers. We can call call them a fancy man and a fancy woman. But I tell you, there's nothing fancy about this. And there's nothing healthy about this. And there's nothing pure about this. I, I want to say to you tonight, that countless homes are broken because of this. Countless children's are in, children are in care because of this. Countless wives, especially, are broken-hearted, emotionally and financially distraught because of it. You just read your paper. There's four, six every day divorced in Northern Ireland. Because of adultery. Most of it because of adultery. So when you begin to think about this, think of, the, think, think of what has happened. Think, think, think of our society today. Thousands are driven to suicide. Many are driven to the drunkard's grave. Many into mental institutions. This is one of the deadliest sins. This is one of the most used sins that the devil has today. Someone said it's one of the most broken of all Ten Commandments. And as nearly every other commandment has something to do with it. Stealing, coveting, murder. And sadly, it's not only in the world, but it's in the church. And we need a whole review of this, this sin in the church of Jesus Christ today. Now, I'm not going into marriage and divorce. I'm not going into that tonight. I, in tw- 20, I think six years ago, I did a series of meetings here facing the facts and I covered a whole lot of these things that I haven't changed my mind on any of them and one of them was divorce and remarriage. I'm not going into that tonight. We, Sharon, I'm sure, will be able to look you up look with it if, you, if you look for it. Here we have this man, and he knows in his heart that it is an awful sin. You know, he, he hadn't the seventh commandment. He, he, he had nobody to tell him, apart from what Derek Bingham said, he had his gut feeling and his conscience, and your gut feeling and your conscience will tell you that it's not right, even you never had a Bible. This fellow had no books on five steps to overcome temptation. But down deep in his heart, because the Lord was with him and the Holy Spirit was in him like he would be in with us today, he knew very well that this is against God and he can't do it. That's what he said. This is a great wickedness. He says, against God and I can't do it. You know, Job, one of the oldest books in the canon of Scripture. If you want to study the book of Job, do you know that Job comes in somewhere about Genesis 11? Somewhere in around Genesis 11, oldest book written in the canon of Scripture. It came in before the offerings, before the sacrifices, before the commandments. And here's what Job said. 
Here's what Job said about adultery. It is a heinous, which is infamous, an immoral sin that must be judged. That's a way back in Job's day, my friend. Listen to what he said. A heinous. It doesn't seem to be very heinous today. It's a heinous, infamous, immoral sin that must be judged. Now listen to what I'm saying. Remember when Abraham went down into Egypt and he told the pagan king that Sarah was his wife, his sister and not his wife, and he lied to him. The pagan king found out and God came to that pagan king in a dream and God said to the pagan king of Amalek, you touch her and you'll die. And he challenged Abram. King Abimelech challenged Abram. He says, what have you done? You brought me and the whole kingdom into judgment for this great sin. You hear that now? This great sin, a pagan, a pagan king said, it's a great sin. A man who knew absolutely nothing about God. Boy, we have moved so far away. If Job says it was a heinous sin, Abimelech says it was a great sin, jo- Joseph says it was a wicked sin, what do we do with it now? Just go on laughing it and having jokes about it and chat shows on it and write books on it. And it's a sin. It's an awful sin. And it's wrecking and destroying so many lives, so many homes and so many families. I had a woman contacted me within the last 10 days. Personally, she contacted she said, I want to tell you we're listening to you and listening to you as preaching. And we're listening to the lifeboat. She says, I want you to pray for my son. I could hardly believe what she was telling me. Christian, I'm told I made a few inquiries, a godly woman. She said, uh, my son um, was married and his wife and both Christians and went to a certain church, an evangelical church. And she says, the pastor of the church took a liking for my son's wife. And he led her on bit by bit and bit by bit. Now, I, I didn't take this from where I inquired about this, as I felt it so serious. And led him on bit by bit till she left my son. And she took up with him and married him. And they're both, he's a pastor in a church and she's the pastor's wife. How can this be? God help us, are we not in trouble enough in the church without this? And she says, Bertie, my son, is heartbroken. He'll not even let you put on a gospel record. And here we have a pastor now, a pastor in a church, in a so-called evangelical church. I hope he hears me tonight. In an evangelical church, pastoring a church, 
I've left his own wife as far as I know and, and has married another woman and he's living and he's pastoring. How can it be? God help us if these things are not spoken against and arrested, where are we going to be? I was vexed and I'm vexed tonight. Ninety times in the Bible, you'll get the word adultery. And it means to break the union. It means actually to break the union with God in marriage. It's the same word as the apostate. Turning away and forsaking the truth of God's word. Turning away and forsaking a man, a, 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 a husband or a wife. Thirteen times Jesus spoke about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all condemned it. Paul, James, Jude, and the writers of the Hebrews, if it wasn't Paul, said this, marriage is honorable, and the bed undefiled, and who among us and adulterers God will judge. In Galatians chapter 5, there are 19 sins of the flesh, one after the other, and the first one is adultery. Bishop Hugh Latimer, the Bishop of Worcester in Reformation times, was chaplain to King Henry, the sixth was it. And he used to go in to preach before King Henry. And it was the custom on a New Year's Day for the bishop to the chaplain to bring a gift. Sometimes it was a gift of gold coins. But Hugh Latimer didn't bring him a gift of gold coins on the New Year's Day of 1554. He brought him a Bible and he had inscribed on the front leaf of it this verse here, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable, the bed undefiled, and whoremongers and adulterers God will judge it. He was martyred at Smithfield. The end of it was wrong then, it's wrong now. Old Thomas Watson, the old Puritan. Do you know what old Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, said? It's the sin of the thief, stealing another man's wife. And he also says it's the sin of the beast, because it says of the horses in Jeremiah, everyone's neighing after their neighbor's wife. And I tell you, the old Puritans knew what it was to live righteously and godly. Danny wonder they were in blessing. Here's something else Thomas Watson said, and it has struck me as being very, very lovely. He says, marriage is two hearts in one body. I think that's good. Two hearts in one body. You know, when I'm doing weddings here, and I've done many here and many over in the barn, when I join the two right hands of the couple together and put my hand across the top of it, and I pronounce what has to be pronounced to make sure that they're man and wife, what God has joined together, let not, not man put asunder. Nothing to do with my hand, it's nothing to do with their hand, it's nothing to do with the ring, those are only tokens. But what God... Something happens, whether they're saved or unsaved, that couple, it doesn't matter. Something happens. This is, this is, this is from God. 
That's why it's so important. That's why there's so much said about it. That's why it's so much condemned. What God has joined. Do you know that word joined is glued, cemented, welded together. You know Genesis 2, don't you? Oh, how we need to go over all these marriage vows and how we need to get back to the basics in these days of transgenderism and sodomites and everything seems to be almost the right thing to do and they're nodding their head in their churches and they're agreeing with it. Genesis 2, God created Adam, caused a deep sleep, deep anesthetic. God knows how to give an anesthetic. And he took one rib and took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. You young boys hear this now tonight. It was God brought her unto the man. And you need a woman, sir, son, that God will bring to you. You hear me now? God will need to bring her to you. Don't be tinkering about in chat shows and speeding and skelting up and down the country looking for... God will need to bring her. Twiddling and texting on Facebook. God will need to bring her. You need to do what Isaac did. You need to get into the classes and pray. Pray. Adam said this. Now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. The rib was taken from the side. The side under the arm to show protection. The side under the heart to show love. He didn't take the bone from the head to lord over or the feet to walk over her. It will do us all good to remind ourselves of something like this tonight. This is a precious, this is, this is Jesus likened it unto the church, unto be Jesus Christ dying and bleeding and suffering on the cross and being united to the church and into the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 5. This is a bond, this is a relationship that was meant for until death us depart. There's so much more we could say about this. Here we have in this situation, way back in Genesis 39, an act of adultery. And our society today is rampant with it. If only we knew what was going on around us, even in the churches. It would surprise you. You'd wonder why there's no blessing. Now we have to get, need to get back to this text. John Phillips says when he came to the when we come to the end of chapter thirty nine.
Joseph was fettered, he was friendless, and he was forgotten. So before I close tonight in five to ten minutes, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. This is one of the great scriptures outside of Genesis that has the story of Joseph. And I want us to go down these verses very carefully and I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you. We're at verse 14. Speaking about the children of Israel here, God says he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes. Now here's verse 15. Saying, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. That word prophets there is the word I was reading today can apply to every Christian, every child of God, every saint of God, not only to the Old Testament prophets, not only to the preachers. And God saying, says that about us, touch not. He says that to the enemy today. There's a boy writing us letters at the minute. <laughs> I'll not tackle him tonight, but if he's listening, <laughs> if he's listening, you're a gutless, nameless rascal. That's what you are. I hope you're listening to me. Because the letters are coming thick and fast in this last month, and there's no name to them, and there's nothing but nonsense. Telling us that we need to get into the closet. I wonder how long he spends in the closet. Well, the word of God says, touch not the Lord's anointed. You be careful what you do, you buy your girl, you ever you are. Because I have two blue bins. I've one up here and one down here. And I have plenty of room for them types of letters. And I have a fire, we fire up there, I can they too. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Be very careful what you say about the Lord. Old Dick Shaw, when he was about 97 years of age, stood and faced a man over in the old hall, the time of our, our 1999, the time of the division was in the church. He faced one of the main men and he looked at him and I heard him saying to him, you touch not this work. My boy, he told him, he was only a wee man, Dick, and he was 90-something. He looked up into his face, you don't touch Touch not the Lord's anointed. Be very careful what you say about the anointed of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, the child of the Lord. Don't be criticizing them. This fellow Joseph never opened his mouth. The Lord will fight your battles for you. He fought them for Joseph. You're going to see here. There was a reason in all this. There was a purpose in all this. Of course there was. It's only going to be a matter, matter of time to he's the boss over Pharaoh and Pharaoh's wife. I wonder how he dealt with her. I don't think he said one word to her. He's such a type of our Savior. And oh, if we went down that line tonight, we'd be here for Christmas. 
But you watch, the, watch this word now very carefully. Touch not the mine anointed and do my prophets, my servants, my children no harm. Moreover, now we're talking about the famine that's come to Egypt. Moreover, he called for a famine. <laughs> he, he just, that's all God had to do. Famine. That's all he had to do. Earthquake. Flood. Just call for it. He's the creator. He can call for what he likes. The global warming boys would need to read this. He just called for a famine. Uh, but you watch what it says here. You watch what it says here. He called for a famine upon the land and he break the whole staff of bread. What does that mean? Well, you see, the staff is something that we, that we lean on. And the whole nation, as any nation, has to lean on the bread. If we don't get bread, we die. We die. So that's what it says here. He says, he break the whole staff. He, he brought a famine. We know that it was seven years. How do we know that it was seven years? Well, you read on. He sent a man before them. That's down in Egypt now. Even Joseph. Who was sold for a slave. See that? God's away ahead of the whole thing. God sent him. God allowed the brethren, the bitterness of the brethren, to put him naked into a pit. To put him naked into a pit and left him to die only for Reuben. Or was it some of the rest of them? Maybe Reuben. But God has his hand on it and the Ishmaelites were coming along at the same time. But God works all things together for good. There's something going on in the realms of glory that's going on to this very day, my friend. And it'll go on out into eternity. God's working all things together for good. The bitterness of the brethren pulling them away and those old Ishmaelites I would have loved, loved to get the son of Jacob came from Ishmael. And the old father at home that he loved and the father loved him never even got to say to the father, I'm all right, I'm here. Must be an awful, must have been an awful thing in his mind. When the veil of Hebron where he walked and where he played and where he ran about and where he remembered Rachel that died on the way to Bethlehem and he remembered his mother when he remembered the father when he, Jacob when he got the limp in the prayer meeting all those things would have been in his mind. I'm sure you heard Jacob talking about the ladder that came down from heaven and the angels coming but oh it's all gone now. And 18 years of age chained in an old wagon Brought Pat through the Sinai Desert, not a clue what was happening. But down to Potiphar's house and sold in the market just like a beast. And brought in here. But the Lord was with him. The Lord is with you, son, that's all you need. And the Lord was with him. Verse 17, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a slave. Whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. 
the rendering of Hebrew rendering of that that the iron that the iron went into his soul. His feet were chained, both when he was a slave at times in the palace, but in the prison. In the prison. And he was laid in iron. It was like a two-edged sword went into the very soul of the young man. Can you imagine what it must have been in his mind about the brethren, the way they treated him, and about his father and the love? And here he is now a slave. And here he is then in the prison for something he didn't do. God help us, we're so quick to defend ourselves. That iron, that way, went into his very soul. And the Lord allowed it to go into his soul. And it went into his soul and into his mind and into his heart. And he was chained there for 13 years. See, we're dealing with God now. Don't you be complaining about your wee problem or your wee trial. That has only been for a day or a night or a week, it'll pass. And it'll pass because God has a purpose in it. Do you, read on now till you see. Verse 9, until the time that his word, now you don't get the two words mixed up here, until the time that his word came. What word? The word about the, the dreams that he had. Didn't years before this young Joseph have a dream? And they laughed at him and they mocked at him in the dream. Seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. And that word was there. That word was in his heart. That promise was from God. That promise had to die, die, die. I tell you, it died all right. Thirteen years in prison. What about the promises that God gave me? Boy, this has been some blessing to my soul. I fed myself from this portion. You asked my wife. This has been some blessing to me. I often say, Lord, where are these promises of the hill, the river, the valley? Lord, look at what has happened. This has happened. That has happened. Family trouble, heart attacks, terrorist attacks, church attacks, press attacks, all the attacks under the sun. But God's timing's not right yet. But the promises are still there. Hallelujah. There is, there is good in my heart tonight as they were the first day I got them. The first day I got the hill, the river, the valley. It was just the same tonight. What's the word again? What's the word again? Until the time that his word came. See, there's a timing, my friend. And there's God's timing. Because listen, what, look at what it says after that. Until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him, tested him, sifted him. That's what's going on. If you want another word for it, smelted. It's a smelting pot.
the smelting pot. God tried him, tested him in the furnace of affliction, in the palace with the brethren, in the prison. He tested him, tried him, and sifted him, and glory to God, he survived it. I think that's a lovely verse. Until the time that his word until the time your word, that we promise you, have you hold on to it tonight for your children, for your family, hold on to it. It'll come. It'll come in God's time. And glory to God, what timing, what timing that will be. He had to wait for this. But the famine came. Boy, it came. When he was taken out, read on down the rest of the verse and I'm finished now. The king sent and loosed him. <laughs> king Pharaoh sent into the prison to loose him. It was the devil chained him, you know. Now the devil had me chained for 25 years, but one day the king loosed me. Hallelujah. He set me free. The king is coming to set us free. He's going to take us out some of these days. Out of this old dark, Adulterous, hellish, whole. Verse 19, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tested him and tried him, sifted him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. Hallelujah. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind the princes at his pleasure and teach the senators wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, that's, and Jacob, that's two names for his father, Israel and Jacob, sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased the people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people to deal subtly with his servants. See, when God's in at the end and good, when the king takes over, it's going to be good. Oh, hold on tonight. Let us hold tight to the promises that God has given us for these children and these families. Hold on for your sons and hold on for your daughters. For surely that hour will come and God will set us free. And he that the Son sets free is free indeed. The devil may have them in prison and he may have them chained tonight, but he's going to snap the fetters someday. Let them out. Hallelujah. Let us pray.